0: I mean, you know, if you're a sociopath, then I can't stop you from designing stuff, but...
1: If you're a sociopath, Laura Klein, not. (laughs) I
0: I mean, I don't even like people, but, you know. This is Aaron May.
2: I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward. Silences. (laughs) Silence. Silence.
1: everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Uh, It's 2019. It's going to be a fantastic year. We're here, very lucky to be with Laura Klein, the author of Build Better Products and UX for Lean Startups. Uh, She's also the principal at Users Know, and they have an awesome podcast continuing our trend of getting all the best podcast hosts in the business to join our little podcast. So thank you, Laura, so much for joining. Thank you for having me.
2: Welcome. Welcome.
1: So speaking of, um, J.H., welcome, welcome. Uh, this whole episode started on Twitter, as all great things do. And um, it started with a back and forth tweet uh, about maybe you've, you've seen this uh, viral tweet. A woman wrote an open letter to the big tech companies. She'd had a terrible experience um, getting served some, some ads that were not only not relevant, but, but really terrible. J.H., you want to tell a little bit more about the story of how we
2: got here? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, we almost fell into the trap of um, social, social media somehow turning allies into enemies, but uh, we've we've avoided that. Um, and basically, um, I think people just you know there's the I guess what we started to dig into is like the underlying cause of why that happens. Like why do these bad experiences pop up on these big platforms? Um, and as we kind of peeled that back, I think there's you know a handful of layers to it, and it felt like something that was worthy of a bigger discussion and not you know I guess it's two hundred eighty characters now, but Either way, the uh, the brief back and forth is uh, is a little tougher to you know to dig into a topic of that nature, and so Laura and I kind of were chatting and decided it'd probably be better to actually explore this you know with some richness and in some context.
0: I think you're underselling it a little bit. I think that the the true story here is that I posted something a little bit aggressive, you responded with something thoughtful, and I attacked you for it. So again, <laughs> apologies for that. I think you're right. I think that we are actually mostly on the same side of this, and I think it's an important conversation to have.
2: Yeah, I think there's something tough about social media in the sense of, um, you know, I think there's a lot of things that everyone will agree on, but the amount that you care about it varies from person to person. And sometimes you're not like totally on the same level about, uh, you know, on the level of intensity on a given issue. People can kind of, you know, snap at each other a little. And I I think that's across like any issue. Like when you look at like all the social justice stuff or any, you know, not to get like (laughs) crazy heady on all these things, but it happens across the board. And it's actually like, I think a lot of these people, uh Believe the same things and like are fighting for the same causes, but for whatever reason that format just makes it hard to uh to see eye to eye sometimes
0: it it does it does, and part of it is because um you'll get similar comments from folks who don't necessarily agree with you because it's so short it's such a short thing and and uh, I think it's very easy to have an argument with somebody else, which is what often happens for me is that i 'm not having the argument with you i'm I'm having the argument I think I'm having but it's really with somebody who, you know, responded separately. So,
2: yeah, there's a lot of straw men out there. Yeah, but, exactly. So like to, to try to frame it as like a big fuzzy question, right? Um, The the point that uh, Jillian uh, was getting to in, about her son's stillbirth is, you know, social media and especially like some of the bigger platforms are about connecting people and sharing life moments. Um, and, you know, the sad reality is that there are um, unfortunate parts of life and bad things do happen. Um, and for whatever reason, these platforms don't seem to handle this well. Um, and so we wanted to kind of explore, like, is that a, you know, they're not doing enough research and they're not talking to users to to know about these cases? Is it a short-term business decision where they're just prioritizing money over, you know, the well-being of users? Is it something more complicated? And, and it seemed like a topic that, um, you know, the three of us could explore.
0: Yeah. And, I, and I, I'll jump right into it. I think it's all of those things. I think it's lack of diversity in the room. I think it's, you know, they're making trade-offs explicitly for money without really understanding the impact that they're having on people. I think it's lack of user research. I, there are probably a dozen other reasons for it to happen. And my goal, since I have uh, I talk to a lot of product managers and UX designers, my goal is to reduce that a bit, as much as possible. I would like people to think more about the humans that they are potentially hurting with their products.
1: And when you say reduce that, like, what is that? It, you know, we're talking about bad user experiences. We're talking about emotionally traumatizing. Um, we're talking about inconvenient. What is it um, for the purposes of this conversation that we want to to talk about trying to make
0: better? I think it's the, the really severe harm and the, Coming to see maybe psychological harm as being pretty bad, especially when somebody can't avoid it, and trying to reduce the number of times that that happens to people as much as possible. I'd like to get rid of them entirely. I would like it so that I'm not unintentionally served ads or, quote, features that Hmm. cause me, you know, psychological trauma, I, I don't know that it can be avoided entirely. I think that there are some cases, like the one where, you know, they're they're serving a bunch of baby-related ads to somebody who just lost their baby. Some of those could be avoided. More of those could be avoided if we even thought about that as an issue. There's there's another, um, sorry, that's been going around a lot. You know, people have been looking at things like period trackers um and talking about how you know and, and pregnancy trackers and things like that and how they just don't account for the case of miscarriage which happens all the time and it just isn't in them it's just not an option and people are struggling with that and it causes them problems and it makes them very upset and i think it goes a little bit beyond just like i, I mean i kind of think of it like a bad user experience as you know i try to log into something and it's confusing Right. Or I try to use a, I try to use a product and it doesn't work the way that I think it does. I don't think of it as like, I'm going to be reminded of one of the worst things that happened to me.
1: Right. Right. It's almost like a Hippocratic oath for, for designers and PMs, do no harm, do no psychological harm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or, and, and if you can't, I mean, a lot of it is sort of this over-reliance on what I'm going to call sort of stupid AI or stupid machine learning or just stupid computers trying to, you know, pretend like they know what you want based on your past behavior and you're going to end up with this if you rely entirely on machines to make these decisions for people i don't think and how do you yeah and
1: how do do you train the machines if the humans aren't even thinking about it right
0: exactly yeah no that's that uh, that's a that's a whole other set of podcasts but um (laughs) yeah if you've got if you've got people who wouldn't even think through this the machines certainly aren't gonna yeah Understand.
2: Yeah, I, I see it as two big hurdles. One, I think is, I think people, you know, designers and product people and researchers, I think they probably know about many of these things, but I think they probably um, underrate how many people it affects and like the severity of that experience. So I think they kind of, you know, they miss the mark maybe on two angles. And I think the other piece is if you're able to get over that first hurdle and do the research and, and kind of quantify how many people are impacted and, and, you know, and how serious it is uh, to the point that you want to take action then I think it's hard to make the case that, um, you know, that's going to pay off in the long term for, you know, whatever business or uh, metrics you need to optimize in the in the shorter term. Um, and so I think like, I think you're kind of, it's like a two prong, you have like two hurdles to get over. Like there, there's the first and just like actually understanding and appreciating the scope of the problem. Um, and then the second is actually being able to mobilize people internally to want to address it. So I think, I think that's part of the reason maybe it's so difficult. I'm not sure if that's i'm being too reductive and it's that's a simple way of saying it but those feel like the biggest two things in my mind as i've thought about it
0: i think i yes i agree i think i think that those are definitely two huge things i there may be a little bit even more of a sort of a cascade of suck there there's the uh, there's i think there is the they don't even think about it i think there's the we don't have the right people in the room and we're not doing the research so we just don't even we don't even know that these we don't even think about these things existing um i've certainly been in um design reviews where I have brought up what I thought were completely obvious. Yeah, you know, we can call them edge cases. You know, edge cases happen quite a bit. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a complete black swan, right? It's, it's, it happens quite a bit. So I've brought up what I thought were obvious edge cases. And everybody kind of goes, oh, that, oh, could that possibly? Ha-? Yes, of course it could happen. It happens all the time. How do you not know this? Oh, because you haven't left the room. Okay. So you've got the, they don't even know what's happening. You've got the, they know it's happening, but they sort of undersell how bad it is. Like, well, yeah, so what'll they do? They'll just, you know, they'll stop using the product, which honestly is a, may be a perfectly reasonable answer. If you're a startup, it's probably not a reasonable answer if you're Google or Facebook. Well, although a lot of people are now stopping using Facebook for similar reasons. Um, and then you've got the, we know it's a problem. We know how bad the problem is, but we don't really know how to fix it, and then there's the we know it's a problem, we know how bad the problem is we actually know how to fix it, but we can't convince the person who's in charge of making the decisions that it's important because it makes us money right. and I feel like almost that last one and the funny thing i mean it's not funny the the sad thing is that that last one I would say is true of. All sorts of things in UX that you've got UX designers and product managers who do care very deeply about a problem, any problem in the product, and they can't convince people to address it, and that it's a big enough problem to fix. They just don't even know how, or they don't try because they don't think it's their, you know, they they want to stay in their lane, um, or they're just, or the people that they're dealing with are just sociopaths. the the old sociopath (laughs) the old the old sociopath argument you know I mean which I think most people aren't I I, I just sometimes people are making trade up making what I consider to be bad
2: I I think we just work in an industry that really values short-term thinking right I think if you extend the time horizon on when you're thinking about the implications of some of these decisions it's easier to kind of make the case of you know, if somebody has such a like bad, uh, like marker moment is a term Aaron and I were using before, um, such a bad marker moment that that's like the thing that they're always going to think of when they think of your product or service, it's not hard to like paint the picture of, well, eventually they stop using it. It, When anybody asks them about it, that's gonna be the first thing they tell. And it's going to sound horrible. And like, you can see it kind of cascade and start to unravel. And I think, um, there's just such a short term focus in a lot of the day to day. Cause like we do, you know, in a lot of ways we, we, praise that in uh, technology, right? We praise like the design sprint and the faster feedback loops and and being more iterative. Um, And so when you try to, so like our muscles are all very short-term focused and when you try to zoom out and be like, well, what happens two years from now for some of these users? There's not as much of that, um, you know, day-to-day in terms of some of the conversation. Yeah. We could
0: move fast to break someone's heart. (laughs) Fantastic.
1: But then we could, you know, we could mend their heart fast too. Right. So
0: yeah, that's, that's harder. It turns out.
1: But for sure, for for yeah. sure. But all I'm saying is, if you know, if these companies are actually taking these rapid feedback cycles seriously, and they can see the damage they're doing, and they care about it, and that cascading funnel of things that have to be right to do something is in place, you could, in theory, do a sprint around solving some of these issues.
0: I I would take that. I would absolutely accept that. I, and I will. I am the first person to say, like, I personally. I'm not infallible. I know that's hard for me to admit, but um, I screw this stuff up all the time. Um, I miss stuff. I feel like I've been doing this for long enough and talked to enough actual humans that I miss less of it than I used to. But I know that I've missed stuff in the past. I know that I miss stuff now. And I think you're 100% right. I think that the important thing there is to respond to it. And also not, we don't all have to make the same damn mistakes, right? We can learn from other people's mistakes too. Like now that this one's sort of out there in the world, we can go, okay, we're not going to make that particular mistake again.
2: For sure. For sure. And and to get to the business piece, I know you've talked a couple of times about like, you know, it's going to cost us money or whatever. I think I'm not sure I entirely believe that. I didn't uh, mention this up front, but um, part of the reason I was engaged in this conversation is my wife and I uh, lost a pregnancy over the summer and it was obviously a (laughs) difficult experience, probably the most difficult experience of our lives. Um, But what happened afterwards was Leading up to that, since we were you know thinking so much about having a baby in our lives and uh, being really frugal and saving for childcare and doing all this other stuff, uh, we spent a lot of money on stuff in those following weeks as sort of retail therapy right We had a baby moon planned that turned out to not be a baby moon, and we went out to some very nice dinners and we bought ourselves whatever we wanted um, and i 'm not saying that uh, you know the retail therapy is is the solution, but if these people were uh, able to you know, quickly adapt the you know the AI and the machine learning that's trying to serve up these ads and stuff, and somehow gracefully navigate that. Like, there actually may be a business case to be made that you know not only could you avoid this very traumatic, horrible experience for the user, you might actually be able to. It sounds gross, but like profit profit off of it in like in that moment. Um, so I think I think there is if you actually get to know these use cases well enough. Like, I think you can make a business case, and it doesn't have to be purely framed as let's lose money to do the right thing. Because I think that's a tough sell.
0: It is. And I first of all, let me just say, um, I am the last person to uh, judge anybody for retail therapy for literally anything. So <laughs> I heartily endorse it. I think it's a fine model if you can afford it. Um, I'm all for it. But uh, I want to separate out two different things here because I think both are really important points. I think the point you're making is extremely important. That... There's the potential that this, that caring about this stuff actually doesn't lose you any money, uh, and you know, both in that it could prevent loss just of people, you know, of of users. Like if you're se- actually sensitive to to people's needs and uses, and you actually make them happy instead of incredibly sad, that you will end up with longer-term users. And I think that that is often true. And so I think that's great. And I I agree. Like, I mean, don't think of it as profiting from this horrible thing that happened to somebody. Think about it as profiting from being sensitive to your users' actual needs and feelings and doing the right thing for them, which I'm okay with. There's another thing I want to bring up, though, which is... I think as companies, and this may be a, this is a, this is an entirely an opinion thing. As companies and as humans, we may need to say, it's okay to lose a little money in order to not hurt people in a particular way. It's to, to not hurt people that much, right? And I, I was saying before, I, I kind one of want, one of the things I want people to do is I kind of want people to have to actively state, I know this is going to harm people and I am going to do it for money. You are welcome to do that. But what you are not welcome to do, in my opinion, is deny that that is what you are doing. And I think that we sometimes kind of make it a little too easy to abstract that away. Like, oh, it's 5% of our user base. Okay, what are you willing to do to that 5% of your user base for money. I may draw the line at a different place than you do. That's fine. I mean, it's not great, but you know, that's, it's a thing that I think that we should have to actually ask ourselves as people.
1: Yeah. And I, yeah, do you think we always want to go to the, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can do the right user thing and make money. What about the hard choice? Yeah, and that's great. Of course, if you You can have it all, if you can win, win everyone should try to do that all the time. If you have to make the choice, are the big companies going to do that? And if not, um, whose responsibility is it? Is it the individual contributor, excited designer with a conscience? Is it you know the the squad lead who who if not the companies themselves makes that choice? Is it you know an internal quiet mutiny to do the right thing? One experience
0: or at an internal loud mutiny to do the right thing?
1: Oh yeah! Like what, mean, how does that actually happen? What does
0: that look like? Well, I think we 're seeing some of it now, mm-hmm. honestly i mean we I believe the Google China product project got shut down because mm-hmm. people internally said no, yeah, I think we're seeing more of that i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> I, always, I always hate dumping all of my generation 's failures onto the next generation because <laughs> I feel like that 's a total cop out, and i 'm still out here working on it and trying to get better um, That said, I am extremely optimistic about sort of the new generation of workers who are coming in and actually seem to care about this stuff and think about it in ways that, you know, we didn't, when we came up with the, oh, we'll just put everything on for free and then benefit from advertising. Um, So I'm, I'm optimistic about that and I'm optimistic that individuals are doing it. I don't think like the company is not going to do it because the company doesn't have a conscience. Individuals within the company are going to do it. And, you know, honestly, I've always sort of hated this idea that, like, oh, the designer is in charge of being the, you know, the advocate for the user because I think that lets literally everybody in the, other, in the organization off the hook and lets them just ignore the designer. Right. That said, we're often the ones who are the closest. You know, designers, PMs, like, we're the ones who are the closest. We're the ones who know about these things. We're the ones who have the ability to tell stories, to make these things real to the people who do get to make the final decision. I get it. You're a junior UX designer at whatever. You don't necessarily have the ability to go, no, we're not doing that. But you can tell the story. You can bring it up. You can make it a thing. You can build a reputation for caring about this shit. It's not always going to work, but you'll feel better about it, about yourself.
2: I think what's... Yeah, no. I think what's was different was difficult about this, and what's difficult with tech, right? Is that like it feels like uh, like tech companies were supposed to be different, and there was this kind of like do no evil, like a lot of empathy stuff that comes with it, um, compared to like you know the um, stereotype of like the big faceless corporation in the past of like dumping chemicals into the river or something, asbestos
0: um, and baby powder. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it. It felt like these these products were purely for good, um, and I think the last few years have had a little bit of a reckoning of. Well, they can they, they can be, but they can also be, um, you know, misused and there can be abuse or there can be, um, you know, edge cases, quote unquote, like we've been talking about. Um, so I think there's a little bit of just like um, a general awareness amongst people who work in these companies that you do need to be mindful of, um, you know, these outcomes can be negative. Um, and I think you're right that there, there seems to be a growing awareness of people who are working for various companies and, and trying to be the vocal uh, change on some of these issues. And, and maybe that is where it starts.
0: I hope so. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I I know I've become I mean and I don't want to blame all of social media for it. We're having this conversation because of social media. I've met marvelous people through social media. I've built my business partially because of Twitter, honestly. And so I think it all of these things can be used for good. I just I I really want all of us to stop thinking of ourselves as you know, immune from possibly causing harm because all we're building is tools and, uh, you know, have to actually deal with the fact that we're building things that lots of people use and some people use badly and that we sometimes do things that are terrible for certain groups of users and we need to fix that when it happens because we're responsible.
2: I do think... Oh, sorry. I was gonna say just um, because I think some of the, the tech companies, like you know, they grew so quickly. I do think there's a little bit more pressure and like accountability of like you you gave the example of um, you know a pregnancy tracking app that doesn't account for miscarriages. I'd imagine a, a pregnancy app that does handle that case is going to win in the market, right? So like in terms of like the win win stuff, I, I don't want to be the uh, <laughs> the naive person who keeps coming back to that, but like. You know, I think there are cases like, like Facebook built itself a huge following really quickly. I'd imagine that they're at the risk of losing that following with the same speed if, if things, you know, don't improve. And so like, I think there is um, like some, there is some notion of win-win if you, if you, if you do think of a longer time horizon where um, the business drivers and the user drivers can be aligned. Um, maybe not always, but I guess I'm going to be the, the optimist and, and think that some of those things will win out over time.
0: I think that can be true. I think it's more true in products where the end user is also the payer, which is not true of most apps and social media. The end end user is not the person who is paying the bills in most of those cases. And, some of that is our fault as consumers that, you know, hey, we, want every, we just expect to get everything for free. Some of that is just the nature of how you build giant networks of people. You can't do that by charging them initially. And part of that is the stupid lack of business model of the early web that has sort of carried over into now and is now causing all sorts of problems. So, yeah, that's, um, I think that's possible if you're selling a product but most of these folks aren't selling a product. They're selling access to user data.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know people have been talking about the millennial flee from Facebook for a while, and yet the stock prices, uh, it keeps going up and to the right and looking good until recently. And um, I'm personally not optimistic that that's going to mean Facebook is going to start doing the you know capital R right thing. Um, we'll see. Um, (laughs) We'll see. Uh, And you're right. I do think um, people are making these trade-offs of convenience and where their networks are and what they themselves think is right as consumers all the time. And just as a business gets, you know, kind of the cost to rip and replace an existing SaaS technology, it's the same, you know, with consumers. So I don't think we're going to like in mass flee, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple, um, because of some. So, you know, kind of to return to the question of kind of the individual designer, the individual PM, you know, or the teams within these ma- you know massive platforms, and the impact they can have. And the, the example that you'd shared um, on Twitter, the open letter from from Gillian, um, you know, she's mentioning at least Amazon, Google, and Facebook as part of this kind of right. Um, cross-platform data personalization of ads situation that she's part of and most of us are um, when you're one person in one company that's part of that how do you even like again let's say I care I can imagine I recognize that this could happen um, now we're assuming you're a person that could you know do anything um, and you talked about telling stories what what do you do it's so big
0: I think there. Are, I mean I think there are a lot of options remember at the at the beginning of the last century we didn't have weekends right like hmm. that was weekends were not necessarily a thing for people we got the them because people worked together unions specifically worked together and said we need limits to the amount of time that we're working and we need you know to not let eight-year-olds put their hands into unprotected machinery and did all sorts of great things that we sort of take for granted now that like, well, of course, that's a ridiculous thing. Yeah. It wasn't always just a, of course, we're not going to do that terrible, terrible thing to our workers. Um, Those were things that people banded together and fought for. We can do that to protect our users. We don't just have to do it to protect ourselves. We can do it to protect our users. So that's, I mean, I think that's the big hard thing. That's if, hey, you want to be a union organizer. I think not everybody does. And I get that and I respect it. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, I think that we can bring these things up constantly to the Mm -hmm. point of being irritating. We Mm -hmm. can make the people who make the decisions have to confront what they are actually doing. Uh, one of the things that I found extremely useful on a much smaller scale, just showing actual user problems was you know video of people experiencing user problems, showing it to, in my case, it was the engineers who were deciding what to build, uh, but showing it to them and saying, "This is what you're making people do. This is what you're making people go through." I remember bringing them into user research sessions, having them sit behind me. I had one because we worked into continuous deployment. Uh, environment where um, one of the engineers just fixed a bug during the test during the usability session because he just couldn't stand seeing it happen (laughs) it made it real for him that bug had been around by the way for like four years (laughs) so I, I like don't underestimate the power of just making the people who make these decisions aware of the problems it's very easy not to be what have you guys seen work? Have you, you folks, what have you, what have you seen work?
1: I think, um, obviously, we're huge believers of the power of qualitative research and and stories as part of that. I think, you know, going sort of up or down the hierarchy, right, if visual, best case, <laughs> if it can be in there and part of the session, whether remote or in person, you know, even better, um, sort of that audio quotes, but bringing the stories to life um, outside of text on paper, I think... You're absolutely right, um, and I do think I think I- ignoring the um, uh, the sociopath class, um,
0: most it's people a very are, small percentage, it's very, a small like, percentage. Like most 4%, people are like ten percent of CEOs. Yeah, <laughs> right. Only that's, that's my understanding. I don't know.
1: Yeah, most people are capable of empathy, <laughs> but you have to make it easy for them to yeah. to see what's what's actually happening based on a system that they're part of, if not solely responsible for. So I think, yeah, absolutely. That works and and telling those stories over and over again until they kind of, um, there's a tipping point or something, right? Yeah. And it's not
0: easy. It's not easy. And you do have to take some personal risks in your job. And of course, I'm never going to encourage anybody to do that who absolutely cannot. Um, I get it. I sympathize. But, and yet. So yeah a good job market for ux designers. I think um
2: I think what an individual team or an individual designer can do, right is I think uh, you guys mentioned it, but bringing in the user stories, whether that's video or actually having a real user come in and talk to folks is is a pretty good lever. I think you can also find smaller experiments where maybe you try to fix this on a very small slice of the population, whether that's a percentage or a market or whatever, um, and improve you know that the impact is neutral or show, you know what happens when you start to address some of these things. Um, I worked for a company for a long time called VistaPrint, which grew really fast um, on a strategy of basically free. So free business cards, um, and it became a you know an incredible marketing machine. You'd get people in the door on this advertised for free business cards. You would charge them if they wanted nicer paper stock. You would charge them if they wanted a back, you know, to print something on the back. You would charge them a lot for shipping, and so they'd get to the cart after spending all this time designing the product and kind of reluctantly order it because it you know, the sunk cost of I spent two hours designing my card and now it's more than I thought, but all well, I'll, I'll buy it. And at some point the growth started to slow and the business was smart enough to kind of look into it and and realize that what happened was we just had a huge kind of leaky bathtub where people were not pleased with that experience. And so they'd make the one order, but they would never come back. And, um, despite the marketing machines effectiveness, we were running out of people we could continue to acquire, um, on that strategy. And so I was part of a small team that was asked to like use the Canadian market, um, to try a different go to market method with you know normal e-commerce practices and lower discounting and free shipping and we were able to prove that like we could you know over the course of six months it took a long time that that we could make it work and at first it was um, you know revenue and profit neutral but over time it became compounding and kind of snowballed into something that was actually like a winning strategy and um, you know it rolled out across the organization I think that's like a little bit of a, an exceptional case but like I do think you can make small inroads and um, you know bring in more stories or or run more experiments and kind of start to like plant the seeds and and chip away at it. It's, it's probably not always the most satisfying work or it's probably not always feeling like you're making progress, but I think there are ways to do it. And I do think it starts with bringing the users kind of to the forefront and making people aware of it. And, uh, to your point earlier, Laura, of like making at least people say, um, we're not going to do this and we are going to ignore this person, um, and at least be explicit about it instead of it kind of happening behind the scenes or, um, without, without being said.
0: I also, th- I think that's a great story. And I actually, I think that's a fantastic just overall UX design way of going about things. I think that's, that's, we should do more of that. We should all do more of that with everything. And it's a good example of of what you said earlier, which was, you know, if we actually make the user happy, instead of trying to trick them, we will, in the long run, make more money. And so it is both a good you know, user experience decision and also a good business decision. And I agree, we should 100% be looking for those things. We should be looking for those wins all the time. What's good for me? What's good for the company? The company still pays the bills. So I, it's not all about sacrificing the company's money to make people happy. We can't do that all the time. So I think that's, that's a really good way of approaching things. I do think that when you work at some of the the larger companies that are used really sort of as a utility by people that that comes with an extra amount of responsibility. And, um, you know, if you don't like Vistaprint, you can go to a half dozen other places and get your cards there. And so it, it's not unreasonable if, you know, Vistaprint did make a decision to say, well, we're just not going to serve this particular set of users, that's fine, we're willing to make that sacrifice. Okay, if you're Google or Facebook, and you're making that same decision, it's a different decision. It really is, right? You, this, is, <laughs> this is why monopolies are dangerous, because um, it's very, very hard to get away from those companies.
2: Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good point. They are approaching utility status, which is kind of a different beast in and of itself. But,
0: um, And I don't I, want to get into the whole, you know, government regulation like <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, again, a whole other set of podcasts, and I don't yeah. know enough about it to talk our, about it.
2: Uh, our running joke is at some point this, this devolves into a politics podcast. Yeah, it
0: really does. And, <laughs> yeah, and, it really, it really and, and an economics podcast.
2: Yes, yes. Um, but I, I do think, though, what we were saying of, uh, you know, the tech – economy right now is very favorable to employees. Um, I think users have more ways of being outspoken and amplifying their experience, right? The fact that this one woman shared the story and it um, has since been consumed by, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of other people is is pretty incredible, ironically, kind of on the tools (laughs) that also created the experience. But, um, you know, I think the sort of inside out pressure of you're going to have pressure of maybe difficulty retaining employees if they don't feel like they're working on something that is, you know, a mission they can believe in or, or supporting users in the way that they want. Um, and they're going to have other opportunities. I think, you know, it is maybe hard for some consumers to untangle themselves from some of these services, but they can certainly probably use it less if they can't, you know, stop using it altogether. And so I think when you have pressure on kind of both fronts, I do think there is hopefully, you know, something there that people are paying attention to and, and recognizing is in their interest to address. But, you know, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know I shared the story. I, um I, I got off Facebook entirely uh I don't know sometime last year maybe this year I you know just canceled the account or whatever deactivated the account um but I had actually stopped using it really several years earlier um when it kept uh reminding me that I should be connecting more with a couple of friends who were dead and um I had literally no way of making that stop like I just couldn't they they didn't even give me the ability to say please stop reminding me about this person. I would love to still be friends with them. That would be great, but it's not an option. Um, and so I, I think you're right. I think that people do will eventually sort of stop using this stuff. It is, you can decouple from some of these systems is the thing. And, uh, more and more people will. And, uh, you know, I just I wouldn't be happy with myself if I were building a system that did that to people. And I don't have to. So I don't. And I feel like that's true of a lot of us right now.
2: Yeah, I think the employee retention piece is uh is maybe an underrated piece of it. And to your point, not everyone can afford uh or is in a situation where they can, you know, leave a lucrative and probably on the most part, a pretty enjoyable job, but um, but some people can, and you know, not everyone can leave the service from a user standpoint, but some people can, um, and I think in aggregate, those things do start to add up, um, and so hopefully, people will figure out that, um, you know, fixing it. I think death is the craziest one that social media's get wrong because it's just yeah. so, it's just so. It literally,
0: annoying. it literally happens to everyone, <laughs> but it doesn't happen as much to. 20 something to, to fairly wealthy 20 somethings. It does happen some, I mean, I definitely, you know, I lost friends when I was in my twenties, but a it doesn't happen as much and it's not as normal. And so you can absolutely be in a room with folks who have never experienced anything like this and who don't think about, not just the fact that like, Somebody died and, and, and that's awful, but what it would feel like to be constantly reminded about that in a place where you're supposed to be connecting with friends and feeling safe and, you know, being social, and, you know, that that's, I, that, that's a thing.
1: Yeah, I meant literally. Everyone does die. You're absolutely right that oh, yeah. everyone has had the experience <laughs> of a close friend dying. But, but we will all die, and I think part of the issue is that these companies are so young that they haven't gone through this sort of full cycle yet, where um, you know they've were, lost an
0: entire generation of users. Well, the problem um, is too. Once you die, you're doing much less work on Facebook.
2: I was going to try to make an active right. users joke, which is probably
0: a sign that we should wrap up. <laughs> (laughs) 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 And suddenly the podcast takes a very dark turn. That's politics,
1: economics, it's all all in there. But Laura, you mentioned giving up Facebook. Have you given up any of the other big four or big six?
0: I've I've cut way back on Amazon. Um, Mm -hmm. I used to buy everything from them. I now actively search out other things. Sadly, I'm going to be perfectly honest, I did not do it out of any high moral reasoning. I um I did it because I actually think they made their UX much 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 worse. The addition of all of the marketplace stuff and the fact that they are sort of actively tricking users with dark patterns um mm. you know when they're showing things as recommended that they're not marking as, you know, recommended and that I could be ordering something from somebody that's a counterfeit and I would have no way of knowing. Um, mm-hmm. those all just contributed just, I think, make the shopping experience for most things on there garbage. Uh, so I, I will still buy books uh, on my Kindle because I, I can't, I can't <laughs> give it up. It's my precious. Um, but, uh, so I, I do use them for that. And I, but generally if I'm buying something that, you know, is a thing, like I will actually go someplace else and pay more just market to move, I'm getting the actual thing.
2: The marketplace thing is weird. We ordered a thermometer like two or three weeks ago and I was going back through my orders for something and I, I guess some other marketplace vendor had hacked that account and changed the product image to like the Guy Fox V from Vendetta max mask. Sure. And so I'm scrolling through my orders and it's like next to the thermo- and it was like terrifying. I did like a double take <laughs> and then they had like taken over their page and their listing and said, you know, we're accusing them of something, but it was like, this is not a great experience. This is not wow. a
0: Wow. Great- okay.
2: <laughs> I'm not sure I want to use that thermometer anymore. It's, it seems it's like a, it works, but.
0: It's the Mr. Robot thermometer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not the best choice. <laughs> awesome.
1: What am um, I, Laura, what did we not ask you? I think we covered a lot of ground. I think this was a really interesting conversation.
0: This was great. And I so much appreciate you guys for for having the the conversation. And um, yeah, it's great to be able to talk about this stuff. And uh, I, like I said, I don't, I don't want to come across as, you know, somebody who's blaming PMs and designers for all of this stuff. I get it. It's super hard. I just want, I just don't want any of this to happen by accident anymore. And I want decisions to be made intentionally. And uh, I think we'll get better more humane decisions if we all know about it and work together and try to make it better I I don't expect perfection I expect I expect better I'm not mad I'm just disappointed (laughs) (laughs) this is the most middle-aged conversation I've ever had in my life you know I just I expect better of you
1: Well, but that's important, right? Because it's, the, the issue is so big and complicated that to say, you know, I showed up, I cared, I tried, yeah. is, gets us pretty far, maybe, if enough of us are, are doing that and saying that and sharing stories. Yeah, bring your conscience to work
0: day. Mm. <laughs>
2: It does feel like there's, there was a period where like apathy was kind of cool and it feels like lately being engaged and, and being outspoken and, and, you know, trying to create positive changes is becoming a little bit cooler. So hopefully we're, uh, we're heading in the right direction.
0: <laughs> I, I entirely blame my Generation X for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences brought to you by User Interviews.
2: Theme music by Fragile Gang.
1: Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd.